0: Welcome to Happy Hour from the Ramble Room, where the jokes aren't funny and the stories go nowhere. I'm Benson, let's get going. Yoo-hoo! Welcome to the first official episode of Happy Hour from the Ramble Room. Getting straight into it guys, uh, as a lot of you may know, I have just become a dad for the first time to twin boys, Uh, and if you're a parent, you will absolutely know that as much as you may not want it, life gets crazy. Uh, This podcast is a way for me to get my friends and people that I love or find interesting in a room with me, having a drink and just having a conversation about anything and everything. We'll be talking about life, parenting, family, movies, music, sports, whatever our hearts desire, as goes with... This There will be a lot of swearing and topics that some of you may find offensive or topics you don't agree with. Uh, These are my views and my opinions, and I'm here navigating my way through the world, so please pardon my ignorance, uh, but I'm always learning. We're here for a good time and not a long time, guys, so driving the chat this week uh, is my good buddy, Mr. Lee Matthews. Uh, You'll get to hear my chat with him in the coming weeks. One last thing before we get started. I want to say a huge thank you to Garth and Lewis from We Make Online Videos for hooking me up with the logo for the podcast. You can hit them up for any of your online video needs at We wemakeonlinevideos.com.au and to my dear, dear friend, Nathan McManus from uh, Brisbane Band, The Black Catapult, uh, for writing the really sick tunes you guys are going to hear as the uh, intro for the uh, podcast. You can check them out at The Black Catapult uh, on Instagram at the black catapult you guys are all absolute legends and your contribution is absolutely amazing it means the absolute world to me so thanks so much uh but for now grab a drink kick back relax and enjoy episode one part one life of benson you uh, let's hit it up again we thought uh we'd do something a little different um probably for the first episode just because uh if there's anybody listening who doesn't know me very well they probably want to know some stuff about me i guess so that got a good buddy Lee to come in and give us a hand with um, just sort of drive the conversation and ask some stuff that people might want to know. So we'll uh, just take it from
1: there. Well, tell the good people about yourself, Benson. Oh. Where, where you're from? Let's go back to the good old days of oh. uh, the beginning of Benson.
0: Well, I started in the womb.
1: Um, That's was a baby. Unusual. Yeah, yeah, very. Unusual. I didn't see that coming, actually. Yeah. Uh, no,
0: look, I um, basically just lived in lived in Brisbane my whole life. Uh, grew up in. Um, in basically Paddington, Brisbane city area. So pretty, they're pretty much my whole life, actually. So um, and I lived in the same house until I was, I think I was, th- look, I didn't leave home very until very late. So probably until I was like 30s. So just because it was convenient and I didn't have to pay rent. So it was worked out pretty well for me. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. And for the interstate and perhaps international listeners that you do have, uh, Paddington's quite a nice area of Brisbane
0: it is yeah Superwire. it is yeah, D- it didn't start out or not. it didn't start out that way apparently from what i've heard over the years bannington was a shithole to start with and then it became one of those areas that just had all the trendy cafes and you know the like people just sort of move into the area and start to make it gentrifying is that what you call it like it makes it a little yeah. bit you know better, better better area um and um yeah like when i was growing up there it was very uh like when, when I left the area, it was a f- big family area, like lots, like get to Halloween and there's f- f- fucking kids everywhere. They yeah. like closed down some of the streets to do trick-or-treating and stuff because there's that many kids in the area. But when we were growing up there, there was no one. It was literally me and my brother. There was no kids within like a probably five block radius yeah. that we ever saw. Okay. So it was crazy. Really I mean, weird.
1: I only mean, ever sort of known it as a, as a nice place. Like yeah. Sort of inner city sort of or close to
0: yeah. yeah yeah well when i was i think some of a couple of people that i would have talked to over the years like um that like spent a lot of time there when they were when they were younger um they were saying like there was like like grungy punk clubs up in like where all the cafes and stuff are where i don't know if, if people know the area the kookaburra cafe was a big um like a sort of restaurant there they did like, like really really big famous pizzas and that was like in that area was, like, all these divy punk clubs and there was, like, lots of, you know, beatings and stabbings in the area and things like that. And, um, yeah, and then it's sort of now it's this bustling uh, family, uh, rich people's area. Yeah. <laughs> like, the, I think enough. a lot of the average housing, depending on the area in Paddington's, your houses are over a mil. Easy. Easy. Hmm. Education-wise? What well- uh, yeah. Oh, I, st- I You are a private boy or No, 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 no. I was uh nowhere near smart enough for that. I wouldn't waste their money on it fair enough. <laughs> but uh no, I started out at uh Petra Terrace State primary. Uh, and then um or state school TV State School. And I think that was um like I was there until I think the end of grade three. Um, but I was Look, if you, if, you know, if you know anything about me and my, um, I guess, uh, like I wouldn't call them mental issues, but like, i got a pretty mad case of ADHD and it's was obviously very apparent as I was a kid. So I got sort of, I got sort of pigeonholed pretty early that I was going to be a troublemaker and like, I just, a lot of little things happen where like, I don't, I don't remember a lot of them, um because obviously I was so young, but a lot of things that I apparently did that were then like pigeonhole as a troll maker. And I ended up having a like, mum pulled me out of that school. Cause I was actually getting targeted by the principal because of certain things. And a lot of them were just being in the wrong place at the wrong time from what I can remember. Um, like the, uh, think there was one time where I did get myself into quite a bit of trouble where someone was picking on my brother and like if anyone's met my brother Jason he's a he's a solid unit like myself but back then obviously he wasn't and he was getting picked on and I threw some kid up against the wall and basically in the grade three term said if you pick on my brother again I'll kill you and uh ripped his shirt and obviously afterwards I felt very bad for that and like you know because I look I'm not I'm not a bad dude and I obviously back then I still didn't like the fact that I had to do that and didn't like it at all and obviously got in trouble for it so that was probably one of the main things and then uh some um kid from a higher grade probably like a year later um decided that uh, he was had the way that school was it's basically on the side of a hill. And the oval was down quite a large, like down the bottom part of the hill, and the schools up the top. And you know, as kids do on fucking lunch breaks, you know, throw sticks and fucking stones and whatever. And um, I don't know, I don't know what I was doing, but I was just throwing rocks against a hill, like nowhere near any cars or anything. It was like literally on the oval. I don't know why I was doing it. I was in grade three or whatever. And um, a kid from a higher grade came and grabbed rock and then pegged it across the oval and onto the road and smash someone's windscreen and I got blamed for it so like apparently uh, again I was the troublemaker and it got bad and my mum just went nah you need a fresh start we're gonna get you the fuck out of there and took me to uh, where I started uh, in grade four at Ithaca Creek which is a little bit further away from where we were living but not in the grand scheme of things that I couldn't walk walk home if I needed to and uh, as I got older so I was there from grade four to seven, so uh, you know, graduated there and you know, made some pretty good friends. I don't, I think I'm in contact very barely with a couple of people from primary school, but you know, not like nothing like you know, we're best mates for life kind of thing. I sort of made all those mates up, like when I got to high school and and onwards, but yeah, like I, don't know, I didn't do particularly. I think I didn't do amazingly in school. Like I've never been an, an, an academic, that's for sure. Uh, probably more the class clown than anything else. But, uh, you know, <laughs> and, and even then I wouldn't call a big thing class clown. I'm not, I don't think I'm that funny. <laughs> uh, but, yeah.
1: yeah. Fair enough. Cool. And so what did you do uh, coming out of high school?
0: Uh, coming out of high school. What, um, what was
1: your ambitions? What did you want to be?
0: oh man honestly I'm 37 now and I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up it's one of those weird things I, I always struggled with it like I thought I was meant to go and study and you know go to uni or go to TAFE and learn all these things but I just don't learn the way that a lot of people do and I find it really difficult to do it like I only just sort of got through high school on the sort of skin of my teeth kind of thing so it was a bit it was a bit rough like you know and definitely not the smartest guy in the room, that's for sure.
1: So no, uh, no dreams out there, no rocket scientist or rock nah. star or.
0: I think at one point, star. Uh, honestly, like I would have Just loved. It. I, did, I loved acting, like I loved, you know, um, I always loved movies and I loved acting and stuff. But it was never something that was going to be a thing. Like I never sort of got sort of pushed into it. Like through high school, I did pretty much all I did outside of school was play hockey so all i did was that um there was a point there where towards the end of high school i was probably playing hockey five six nights a week so literally all i did was that and you know
1: so when did you start playing hockey
0: third grade so basically oh no i'd say fourth grade i started skating when i was in grade three so i got my first pair of rollerblades uh that's unprofessional i didn't turn my phone on silent um It's the first episode. First, yeah, yeah, first episode. We gotta get the kinks yeah. out, right? Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. So I think I started skating when I was in third grade. I got a pair of you know, Kmart rollerblades for Christmas, and then just was always on them. And I never really um got off them to be honest. Like I just sort of skated all the time, and every weekend was rollerblading around the house. It was rollerblading down the street. It was rollerblading, and then the next thing. Um, mum sort of sort of we'd been skating for probably a year before mum sort of went oh look like she took us to the skating rink after hours and was like kids on the rink playing roller hockey and or inline hockey and then um she sort of looked at me and sort of went does this look like something you're kind of interested in and i was just like uh just seen the mighty ducks so hell yeah fuck yeah let's go let's let's do this and then haven't, I honestly haven't looked back. <laughs> like,
1: <laughs> so I had to pick up a new pair of skates this week. Oh, yeah, you did. You told me that skates. Yep. Yeah. How'd that go? Break the lines. Oh, yeah. I don't know yet. First game's tonight. So um, we'll see how they handle. Did you, you get them baked?
0: Yep. Oh, look, that's lucky. Yep.
1: Um, but while I was there getting them baked, they had the Mighty Ducks uh, <laughs> playing
0: on the TV. Playing.
1: Dude, I have not seen that thing in decades. And holy crap. One... The gameplay is terrible. terrible. I didn't realise. Yeah. Uh, like the goalies, for example. Like, I don't think you could dive out of the way of a puck any harder than they did. Yeah. No. And the equipment. I didn't realise how bad the equipment was. Oh, man. Yeah. I, the sad thing is I remember that equipment because
0: I had to wear some of it. Like, I, that's like... It was crazy. Like, I had the old the old Cooper shin pads that, you know, back then you had to have like the extra elastic on them and it was kind of before like especially for inline hockey where they brought in like cover pants and stuff like that that was always it, you kind of wore like ice hockey stuff because that's what you did like there was it was kind of before all that happened uh, or you didn't wear cover pants it was literally just you put the shin pads on and that was it like there was no covers over the top it was just a pair of plastic shin pads on the front that was it so like back in the old the old junior days but um yeah it's crazy how uh, how how out of date those those films are, yeah. and then you go and watch things now like Buddy Shawsy or like you know Goon and things like that, and you kind of go, oh, things have come a long way, <laughs> yeah. like in, especially in film for for sure when it comes to hockey. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. No, I didn't realise you got into it so early.
0: Yeah, man. So it was been it's been look I I like to make the joke, especially to my partner, where I say um, I've been dating hockey steadily for you know. 30 years or you know whatever it was how a great way overall I was in grade seven i think i've been playing i think i've been playing for 29 years so Damn. yeah it's a long time i'm still not any good at it but i've still been playing for it's the longest thing it's the longest thing i've ever done
1: put it that way i yeah. was <laughs> stuck with one thing for that long is there i'm ignorant but uh, is there a professional inline hockey league uh <laughs>
0: I, there was I saw bits and pieces of it. I don't think it's professional definitely not here anyway um, I when I was a when I was younger there was a I saw it come up on um, I think it was like on weekends I don't know whether it was on cable TV or not but there was a thing called the it was like the roller hockey um, like Pro beach, oh, pro beach hockey is what it was called pro beach hockey and it was based out of um california so it was literally a rink in the sun on venice beach built on venice beach and you kind of and i was just like this is the coolest thing ever it was like it was amazing you see the both ends of the rink were actually curved up so you could swing the ball and was play with a ball not a puck either so it was kind of weird but you could swing the puck, the ball all the way around the rink with that curve. And it was fucking super impressive, but I'd, I'd love to know like, what happened with it. I don't know how long it was on for, but I remember watching that like, you know, on uh, like Super Simpson Saturdays and uh, like WWE and things like that. And it had come on after that, yep. uh, which was super cool. Uh, and the other one that was very similar to that was Slam Ball. I don't know if you saw Slam Ball, but God, that was hilarious. It was hilarious. So- yeah. If
1: they're playing it after the WWE, I guess that sort of shows yeah, you who's watching it. So yeah, exactly. It so it wasn't going to last long. Yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah, so yeah. Yeah, it, was, it was it was what it was, but it was pretty cool. Like I always thought that was kind of the the one I was like, wow, that looks so cool. Like playing outside in the sun and they're, they're still playing in full gear, and you're like, oh,
1: it sounds like a lot of sweat, man. Yeah, like, it, it is. Stinks as it is. I don't think uh, you know thirty degrees and yeah. the sunshine's going to help.
0: Oh, it is. I tell you what, that's the worst thing. Like the uh, that's why I said in the in the episode that we've already we've already pre-recorded. Uh, we were talking about hockey already, and I said that if I had to make the choice, I'd always pick ice over inline, and it's purely because of the heat. Yeah. That's what it comes down to. Like I like the gameplay of ice, it's a little bit more. Um, it's it's there's I guess there's more structure. Inline's a lot more fluid because there's no offsides and icings and stuff. But um, for me, it was very like. Uh, yeah, just the heat, man. Like I've played tournaments in the middle of February, and you just like, it, 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 no, no, I don't, I don't. And that's being, look, and being, and being, <laughs> being
1: a fat man, I definitely don't like the sweat, <laughs> especially the tournament. You got like a couple of games, like you'd want to. Fresh yeah, a yeah, fresh kit for each game. Yeah, what, like oh, nothing worse than putting like a oh,
0: sweet. Yeah, well, I, I think got to a point where we were playing like those tournaments where I just wouldn't take my gear off because it's like you got to put it back on and you're like, oh, it's all cold. Yeah. And uh, like, no, I'm good, thanks. <laughs> like, yeah, I'll always pick ice for sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah, man. So just one brother. Yeah, so my brother Jason, he's two years, so he's eighty eight. I'm eighty six. So, um, yeah, just one brother. He lives down in Canberra now with um, his missus, doing work for the Secret Squirrel organizations. Um, yeah, yeah, he's he's smart kid, smart kid man, smart guy, kid. Uh, yeah, smart guy. Yeah, I'm probably too smart for his own good. Sometimes I think. <laughs>
1: Fair the younger if, ones usually are.
0: Smart. Yeah, yeah, they're usually the better ones. Yeah, yeah. I got, the, I got the street smarts. He got the uh, everything else.
1: <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, and uh, work wise, was it straight into retail? Um,
0: no, so guy, because of the, all my medical problems and stuff, I really struggle with like a lot of the work stuff. So, like I, you know, there's probably a lot to do with why I have such a sort of crappy job not a crappy job but like i've had kind of been stuck in that same retail rut that i have been in for a long time because a lot of it comes to with um so just out of like i had a couple of surgeries in like sort of grade the higher grades of high school where i had a lot of i'm like you know uh, again if you you know me you you don't know me like i've got a lot of problems with my left ankle where they just sort of woke up one day and it just sort of started hurting There's no real rhyme or reason to it. It just happened. It wasn't some kind of crazy cool, like I broke it doing a backflip or I did something stupid. I literally woke up and it just hurt. And by hurt, I mean like the pain can be excruciating. Like it's not fun. Um it definitely limits what I can and can't do. Like I I can't even, as we were talking about last week, I can't even go for a run outside or a jog or even sometimes if I look at a beach to walk on sand, I'm instantly in pain before I even get to the beach because it hurts that much. Mm -hmm. Um, But I had uh, a couple of surgeries early on in or mid high school. And then when I finished high school, um, they basically said, look, we've got one more surgery that we can do that will give you... um, like A and B scenarios. It's either going to make it really good or it's going to make it really bad. And I was like, okay, well, I guess I uh, don't have a choice. Like we've got to try and do this. And they basically did what they call a, a fusion. So they fused the, the bones in my ankle so that I can only, on my left foot, so that I can only move um, up and down. I can't move side to side. So any kind of... Um, ground or like uneven ground like sand dirt tracks that kind of thing um when you're walking on sand your feet stabilize themselves but this one is literally stopped into one position so i can't stabilize myself so you're a pigling basically yeah so i've pretty much got that and um so i uh that surgery um had put me it put me into a position where I, I sorry I didn't get a I didn't do a lot of like most kids would go out and work for Maccas or have all these things. Like I had a paper run because that's literally what like I could do. And my my mum was very much a You're not smart. We need you to finish school. Um, I will continue to pay for your things we will do the paper runs but I don't want you to have a job because your learning is more important than you working so I will do this so I didn't really have any apart from the paper run any opportunities to do that which is was good for that but also bad at the same time because it put me behind like everybody else like all my friends had already had multiple jobs before I'd even had my first proper job so wasn't um wasn't great but it was was also good uh, I got to spend a lot of time at home and um I got to keep keep playing sport and doing the things I love doing anyway and I also got to go on ski trip which was part of my reason for staying to finish grades 11 and 12 was because grade 11 going on ski trip mum's like if you if you graduate I'll let you go ski trip so I was like obviously I'm going to graduate high school so I'm going to have to go
1: to, so I get to go ski trip <laughs> The story you just gave me about your ankle, I'm like, ski trip? That doesn't seem... How are you yeah. going to move side to side? <laughs> uh,
0: the ski trip thing was kind of a before it got really bad. Yeah, okay. So, it it was uh, end of ele- end of grade 11, early grade 12 is when all the issues started happening. Uh, and I, th- the only thing I can sort of look back to and go, oh, it was this that caused it, was I had um, back in the day when, before they were cool... Uh, was the uh, the Razor scooters. So like the little push metal scooters. When they first came into the country, uh, into Australia, they were being sold by Scapers. They were the only ones on the market. It wasn't like you could go to Kmart and get a cheap one. It was literally one brand. And at the time, Scapers was the only place that sold them. And... The my coach at the time was Dean Tully, and he was his. The Tully's actually owned is and that's how he got one. Uh, and I he would have it at our games because he was coaching us. And we get to, and I'd be like, Oh, can I ride the scooter? You know, can I ride the scooter? it's pretty cool, man. And then eventually, I like mum was like, Yeah, I'm gonna get you one. So I got one for like a birthday, I think it was my birthday, I think it was. And I tell you what, I flogged the shit out of that thing. I rode it literally everywhere. It was my main source of transport for five, six years because I didn't get my license until I was a lot older because I lived in the city. I had no need for it. I could literally get a bus pretty much anywhere within 15 minutes of me wanting to get on a bus. I could be on one to the city or wherever I need to go to get to where I need to go. Plus I had the scooter, so it means I didn't have to walk very far because I could ride that. And then that was kind of what started it all, we think. So one day it just sort of, maybe it was how my feet were like planted on the scooter, how I was doing something, but it caused some problem in there to start the pain. And that's what it was. So it was just one of those things. And a couple of years later, uh, just about outside of of high school for the first time. And they kind of said to me, "Um, here's your option. This is what you got to do. So I didn't have a job. They put me in for surgery. It was three months, three months weight bearing, uh, non-weight bearing, uh, three months weight bearing, off uh, in a full cast. Um, so six months completely off. So I couldn't work, couldn't do anything. I got out of so the six months, came finished up. They took me out of the cast you know, if you've had been in a cast for six months, you'll know what your muscles are like after, after that. So obviously in that time I wasn't playing hockey. Um, started playing music instead to keep me sort of entertained or give me something to sink my teeth into other than sitting on the PC and playing Counter-Strike for 12 hours a day while I couldn't do anything else, which I still did anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I got really good at Counter-Strike, turns out. <laughs> right. yep and then um once the leg sort of came out of the cast uh my dad had some bad news and he was um his friend uh lifelong friend um fred lived down in mildura and he had gotten cancer and they didn't know if he was going to make it so he's like oh i got to go down and see him and obviously i didn't have a job and Mum didn't really want him to go by himself but she had to stay home for my brother so she's just like why don't you go I'm like, all right, well, I've got nothing better to do. So why not? So we took a road trip down to Mildura and about, I think we got to, what's the golden guitar?
1: That's Tamworth.
0: Tamworth. So we got to Tamworth and I got violently ill, like really bad. I'm not sure what it was, like whether it was a chest infection or whatever. Um, So we got to Tamworth and we stopped there for the night. And then I pretty much didn't move for the next I'm going to say we drove down. He got me to their house, basically threw me into bed and I slept. We think we were there for five days. I was in bed the entire five days. Didn't move, got back up to drive home, was barely able to do anything and sort of got halfway home. And I said, everything else was starting to get better because they put me on all these drugs trying to get me feel better. And they said, um, I said to dad, I'm like, my leg really hurts. Like it's sore like really sore and it was kind of like a you know like we'd just been i'd been laying down he's like look it's probably because you've been laying down for five days like you haven't done anything so your legs probably sore because you haven't done anything on it I'm like okay yeah well, i guess cool. that makes sense um and then we got home and uh, it was still sore uh, a couple of days later it was getting swollen more swollen and it's getting very hot to the touch and uh, my brother, being a smart ass of years, goes, um, look, uh, I'm not a medical professional, but I'm pretty sure he's got a blood clot. Almost certain he's got a blood clot. And I was like, fucking bullshit, I don't have a blood clot. Don't be ridiculous. Mum's like, don't be ridiculous. He doesn't have a blood clot. So anyway, we went to the doctors and the doctor, good old good old run of the mill GP, just says, uh, take some Panadol, you'll be fine. Yeah, There's nothing wrong with you didn't send me in for a scan, being a nineteen year old kid. They're like they're like had no idea what it could have been, but they thinking I was a young guy, there's like, oh, it's probably just a leg pain, he'll be fine. Uh, three days later I end up in hospital and the hospital is basically like, if you didn't come in, in the next twenty four hours, you'd be dead. Yeah. Um, and it's so, like, cool. So that started the blood clot phase of my life where um the next year and a half, uh, again, can't work because they put me on to, uh, if you know anything about uh, sort of medication and stuff, they put me on warfarin and means I couldn't do anything. So I had to stop playing hockey. I couldn't do any kind of sport that could get me, like bruise me or something like that. blood that are yeah, so it's a, it's a pretty hectic blood thinner. And it was sort of... Back then, it was kind of one of the only ones that are out. There's there's new ones now, like the one I'm on currently is uh, one called Zeralto. But the warfarin was... You had to get blood tests every week to get the right dosage. So I was constantly in and out of getting blood tests to figure out the dosage. Sometimes the dosage would go up, then it would go down, and it would just be constant for basically a year and a half. And then they went... Yep, cool. The blood clot's gone. You're all good. I'm like, okay, fun times. Then I uh, had to try and figure out a way to get back to work or get to work and do some stuff. But like, uh, like the good old friendly GP that doesn't know everything. Um, a lot of people don't know everything when it comes to this stuff, and they also don't like to communicate between doctors and surgeons and specialists and stuff like that. And I sort of was probably about after all this, probably about a year, maybe about a year, um, maybe eight months. um, I have um, started to get like, I thought I just banged my leg on something. Didn't really think much of it. I banged my leg on something. And I had like a bit of a, bit of a wound and i thought oh, i'll just i've just banged it and it's just opened up i didn't think any of it and then a couple of days later it's getting bigger and a couple of days later it's getting bigger and bigger and we go to the doctors and we're like well, we don't understand what's going on like we thought it was just a cut this is this doing this thing um anyway they start trying to treat it on this like in the doctor's surgery they have absolutely no idea and it should have gone straight to a specialist but turns out that because of the blood clots and the blood thinners and all these kinds of things, um, I started getting ulcers on my leg that were just, basically it looked like a zombie wound. So it would just open up and just keep getting bigger mm-hmm. because it was untreated. Um, and they went, so the doctor finally said, look, we'll send you to a, um, it looks like it's an ulcer, we'll send you to a clinic um, to get it sorted. I'm like, oh, okay. So I went to the clinic and they were like, why the fuck have you not come to see us sooner? And I'm looking and I'm going, I'm, I don't know. They didn't send me to see you. They kept saying like, you know, asking me all these questions and I'm like, I don't, I don't know. So they put me on the, this stuff. Um, basically it was like a five layer compression cast. So the first layer was like a kind of like a cream, or some kind of ointment so they cover my whole leg um from toes to sort of you know just under below the knee in that and then it has like five different layers of different types of um material so one was like a sort of like a cotton bud style thing one was a super tight bandage then it was like a normal bandage it was huge and basically all it was was to because of the clotting it had killed majority of the small veins through that area of my leg. And it just uh, had to do this stuff to compress it. Compressing it's the only way that I won't get them essentially. Um, so anyway, we finished up and that was probably, like a six to six to eight weeks. I think it was of like constantly going back and forward at this time. I'm currently now working at JB and, um, and yeah, so I had to like go to work in a, you know, sandal with this cast to try and jam it, jam my foot into a shoe so I could keep working because I was allowed to walk on it. it. wasn't a problem, but incredibly painful. Incredibly painful. Yeah.
1: yeah. Joyce, man. Yeah. Very joyous. Yeah. a Great time. Um, it, yeah. I couldn't help but think of the uh, Stephen King. Um, I'm trying to remember what the title was the one where uh, the dude gets hobbled. Yeah. Um, Oh, Kathy Bateman played the, um, the evil, basically, I can't remember the story long, but I think the dude had a car accident or something. Mm. She pulls her out of the car accident, but then holds him like in her house. Ah, okay. Um, and then when he like goes to leave, he hobbles, up, oh, she hobbles him. Um, so puts like a post between both ankles and then smashes both feet with the uh, sledgehammer. And breaks the ankle. Oh Jesus! I'm like, sure that didn't happen to you. Yeah,
0: honestly, it probably would have been better. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> would it, it? Would have come for a good story? <laughs> yeah,
1: geez, I'm trying to remember what the name of the movie was.
0: I, c- I couldn't tell you. Down you down said book. Stephen King, and I'm like, ah, it sounds like a horror movie. That's the opposite of the movies that I would watch. <laughs> <laughs> Do you watch any horror movies? No, I'm not a, not a horror movie fan, man. I like, I don't, I don't really enjoy being scared. It's not something that I like.
1: Yeah, You don't always get scared From horror movies though Like one of my favourites Like I'm Into the uh, The real corny ones Right Like the Friday the 13th The Nightmare on yeah. Elm Street it's like the ones That you just sit there Laughing at Yeah Um
0: yeah. well i got i got scared watching bloody jumanji as a kid so like i yeah am not a fan to be fair i am absolutely terrified of spiders so that was the spider scene that did it for me the rest of the uh movie was
1: i all i could think about was the spiders so i wasn't a huge fan of that <laughs> yeah i'm not gonna judge it eh? like i think there's always a movie that scares you like i, I don't know for me there's there's a movie that scares you as a kid that shouldn't scare you. Yeah. For whatever reason, it just scars you and yeah. that scar is deep. For me, it was Terminator 2. Oh, really? Yeah. No, actually, sorry. Terminator 1.
0: The original Terminator, Ter- yeah. The
1: original Terminator. And it was the scene at the end where the robots coming after Sir Connor. Yeah, crawling along the before. ground. Yeah, yeah, dude. I don't know why that got to me, but for years, for years, I would have dreams about... Fucking robots coming after me,
0: and like the crawl, you get that last scene before you wake up is them crawling along the ground to try and get you. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. It's like it's, it's like saying that if anyone like back, especially particularly back in the day, it's like saying that anyone who watched Alien for the first time was not scared of Alien. Bullshit. That yeah. is fucking terrifying.
1: Thank you, Google. Uh, Stephen King movie, Misery. Misery. I've heard of that movie too. I don't know why I didn't pick up on that one. Yeah, yeah. okay. And there's even a bit there, Misery Hobbling Scene. Ah, uh, okay. Thank I'm you, gonna... YouTube. Yeah. Ooh, all right, I'm going to have to watch that yeah. later. i have to watch the, uh, I'll watch that little scene later. Yes. But yeah. And, uh, yeah. So you did touch on it before, and it was one of the questions I wanted to ask you before, we, um, before I knew we were going to do this was uh, music music oh, I, yeah. I did hear that you were into music and played some form of instrumentation yeah I'm assuming bass just because I don't know why yeah um, it was bass yeah, yeah cool Yeah, sweet yeah, yeah it picked, picked <laughs> like a dirty nose um, um, yeah when how far did you go what, so, was, what was the story of that what did you play what, what, did
0: I, what style of music what style of music oh, okay so so how it sort of started out was uh, I Um, so in like school and stuff it sort of all goes back to there because I don't I didn't ever like music. I didn't get along with any of my music teachers and I think because they were like you should you have to play a recorder yeah. I was absolutely not interested in that whatsoever.
1: Yes. You don't want the recorder? How about the clarinets?
0: clarinet? Clarinet. No. like, Honestly, now I look back on it, there's a bunch of instruments. Now, as an adult, I'm like, oh, I wish I had learned to play that. Mm-hmm. Like, I would have loved to have played, like, piano or learned to play, like, trumpet or trombone. Um, ah, trombone. I did trombone. Yeah. yeah. Stay away from it. Yeah. The only reason I like that is because, like, the style of music that I sort of... When I sort of started... Uh, I guess when I grew my own, like, grew, like, when I sort of started getting my own taste of music, like, I mean, the, one of the first, like, CD, back in the day, CD singles for you uh, young people out there, probably don't know what they are. Um, it's like, a, you know, like Betamax. <laughs> no, it's uh, like, you have just a CD single, uh, artist releases the single, and they just have, like, one, one, or th- one to three tracks on it. Um, and, like, I had Spice Girls or, natalie embroidery or whatever it was like when i was like when i was a kid i didn't really have a taste of music yet i think i still think uh you have guilty pleasures, and like I can sit there and go, I know the words to Spice Girls songs because I listened to the album, and my the way my brain works, I still remember the lyrics to something I haven't yeah. listened to in ten years. I
1: know too 20 many years. people that don't know the words to a Spice Girls yeah. song. As much as it pains me to say it, yeah. the song comes on, you're like, yeah, I know the words. Yeah, I'll probably, s- yeah, I, yeah, I'll, like, I'll, I'll sing along to it because I don't
0: really care, as I just know the words. But, yeah. um, yeah, so it was the my music taste back then was very eclectic, and then. One year, it's uh, it, I sort of I went to my cousin or my, my auntie and uncle's place, and my cousin showed me a a couple. He he had some stuff playing. Uh, I think it was my first forte into sort of punk was uh, he happened to play um some Offspring and some Everclear, and my my brother really he really like stuck to it in particular Everclear stuff. And I sort of, I never really liked them until I was, I probably started listening to them more uh, in the last 10 years than I ever did back then. But I remember going, I kind of like this and, um, but I didn't want to like things that my brother liked. So I kind of moved on from that and found something different. And um, the, I think it was offspring. I think it was smash, maybe smash album. Um, What lots of swearing, lots of swearing on the album. So, the my cousin had this on a tape, and he listened to it. His dad heard the swearing and literally snapped the tape, and in half, and was like, "You will not listen to that fucking trash again." And I was like, "Wow, okay, so that's interesting," and that kind of always stuck in my head, like, "Ah, oh. solid reaction." Yeah, um, I kind of went with that. I like kind of oh, now. I kind of want to listen to it more because you I were troublemaker. Yeah, and um, then a couple, I got to grade seven and the I think I can't remember I can't remember the year that I was in grade seven but the song that I sort of heard me and we had our graduation thing for grade seven you're going out to high school and stuff and we had to do like a bunch of skits for our, gra- our, our graduation and my uh that then time one of my best friends Oliver and I did uh we had planned to do this kind of skit to do with music and it happened to be a song that I got introduced to probably the year before, which was Damn It by Blink-182. And that's kind of where it all started. Um, a lot of people didn't want us to use that song and the base of the principle came down and got to a point where he's, they're like, you're not using that song as part of your thing. It's because of this. Um, it's got one swear word in it. They say fuck at least once in the song. Um, but it was like, we didn't even at that point know what that was. We just sort of, it was just a thing, and we just liked the song, and that's what we want to do because it was like, well, like, this is growing up, this is what we're doing, this is what our lives about right now, and they wouldn't let us do it, so that was kind of where it started, and then it sort of became big. Blink One Two became an obsession for me to the point where like I could was literally listening to it every day. Every night I had speakers under my bed with a stereo where I would literally go to sleep listening to Blink and like Limp Bizkit and a bit of everything really, like lots of different stuff. Um, and then, yeah, I sort of never really got into music in general. Like I couldn't read music. I still can't read music. Um, not something that I was ever good at. Um, and then once all this stuff happened with my legs, I was kind of like a friend of mine was in a band and I was like, oh, I kind of want to play bass because the obsession with Blink had gotten to a point where I was like, I, I I could play this. I could do this. This is, it's, this stuff's not doesn't seem that hard to play. Look at it. And I sort of just started, I was like, I'm going to buy myself a bass. So out of nowhere, I went and bought a, like a little, um what do you call it? Like a practice kit as a Fender Squire. I, 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 well, I was going to say, actually I still have that guitar, but I smashed it recently. Um, but I just went okay well let's you know um, try this Um, mum and dad both looked at me and just went you're a fucking idiot <laughs> you don't know how to read music you don't know how to do this you've never played an instrument in your life and this is a waste of money and this is going to be something that just collects dust in the corner and I was just like fuck you I'm going to do this now so I
1: funny I'm looking at a guitar in a corner.
0: Yeah, still got a guitar in the corner. There's a bass in the in the in the cupboard right behind you. <laughs> you know, like so I you know I started playing stuff in my room where obviously I had like a two year period where I wasn't able to work. So I literally just sat in my room and tried to teach myself how to play songs that I actually liked. So I had uh, tabs back then was what I was I think uh, the main thing I was using. And I just sort of learned to play songs that I actually liked. And then a buddy of mine um, from high school, he um, said, uh, we don't have a bass player anymore. And I was just like, he's like, you've got a bass? And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, why don't you play bass for the band? And I was just like, I don't know, man. Like, I'm not very good. And he's like, we're not very good. So that's not a problem. And I was like, okay. So anyway, like they dragged me eventually along to a after i got confident with it they sort of taught he taught me how to play them via a tab so he sort of showed me because he was a museo, so he knew what to do so he just pointed to the things to play and he's just like just do this i was like cool so i sort of taught myself how to play two of their songs and then he helped me along with it made sure i was playing all the right notes which played along to the pre-recorded track and then went to practice and i just played it exactly the way it was recorded and they went oh cool. And that's kind of where it went from there. Like we just sort of started playing um, with them as we, as we wrote the songs, they were like, yep, it's third string down, second fret, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh, okay. And they're like, play that like this. Oh, cool. So it took them a little bit longer to teach me how to play songs, but that's, it was easier. It got got easier from there. And we were, um, so they were a band called Wearing Roscoe and um, we played like bunch of like we played quite while i was in the band we played heaps of gigs um not to like you know huge amounts of people or anything but like that was pretty cool um and i sort of like i really enjoyed my time with the band um we definitely thought we were way cooler than what we were that's for sure um but after a while i sort of started to have um issues with one of the particular members of the band and i didn't really feel comfortable anymore And I'd made friends in that time with another band uh, and they were called Euphony. And um, while I was playing and wearing Roscoe, they had, they were quite, uh, I wouldn't say big, but they had a few really good opportunities uh, in that time to play uh, a couple of like uh, international support, uh, with international support acts and as an international act, sorry. And then um, they... um, had a few gigs lined up they had a bass player that had left the band and they asked me uh, because we'd played with them a few times and i made friends with them to fill in for said bass player so i went to their practices learned the sets for their songs really helped them out and got out of a bind of gigs that they had already got lined up before the bass player quit um and then they managed to get a um what's the word i'm looking for they got they got an international support Slot with a band called Hello Goodbye. Not Hello Goodbye, I think it's Hello Goodbye. Um, I'm pretty sure now it's going to annoy me because I've forgotten the, the name of it, but I think it's I think they're a band called Hello Goodbye and they, um, kind of like a I guess electro pop. Um, yeah, Hello Goodbye was what they were called. Uh, they had a the song that they had was that was they were famous for was called uh, Here in Your Arms. And they supported them and they were like, the, the two guitarists were very much like, we want Benson to do this because he's helped us out. We want Benson to do this support. Now the drummer who didn't like me very much um, was kind of the one that was managing the band. So he went and found a bass player to replace you know them. They gave him, I think, probably a week or two to learn the material for this international support show. And they gave, and he got the new bass player to do it instead of me. And I thought, well, I already knew the set inside and out cause I'd played it that many times and I was confident with it. I was on stage jumping around, rocking out. Uh, and unfortunately they, he went with him instead. So it kind of broke my heart a little bit. I was like getting super excited for it. And then it, they sort of got ripped away from me. And um, then the um, the two guys and the, the two guitarists said, well, if you're not going to do that and let him play, then you need to at least let him come to the show and he can be our guitar tech and just look after the stuff on stage. So I ended up like just handing him guitars during changeovers and stuff like that for the shit. We watched the band side of stage. It was a really cool night. Um, but obviously I would have loved to have um, done that myself, but obviously it didn't work out that way. Mm. And, um, yeah, so basically I started to sort of feel like I wasn't, I was kind of feeling like I wasn't really part of wearing Roscoe anymore and I wasn't enjoying myself. So I ended up, um, when I was becoming friends with these guys from the other band, they sort of said to me, um, it got to a point there where they actually split from their drummer and the bass player and they went to do something else and it left the two guitarists by themselves and they were like, well, you know, why don't you come play with us? We've got a new, we've, we've t- are trialing new drummers at the moment. So then you can just join Euphony and we'll continue on. And I loved the music a lot more than I liked the Wearing Roscoe music. Uh, it was definitely more of a, I'm trying to think of the style of music. It's sort of like, a, it was a pop punk, but it was more, more, um, more harmonies, more, a lighter tone. Wherein Roscoe was a little bit grungier and I preferred the sort of the higher pop style of the pop punk that they were playing. So I was like, okay, cool. So I left Wearing Roscoe and I said like, um, you know, I'm not really getting along with this person in particular anymore. I think it's probably best that I just leave. So I left the band and I joined Euphony straight away. And, um, yeah, then we started playing gigs through, um, I started playing a few gigs with them we weren't getting much traction because now that the other the drummer had left, the sort of music style would kind of change because he had been writing some of the stuff too, so it changed a little bit. We wrote some new tracks as a as a group, and then nothing sort of was going on, and we kind of thought, well, maybe we need to change it up. Let's call Euphony what it was, and why don't we start something new? So we actually, um, so so Rick, uh, the guitarist, the main the singer writer guitarist he um said um i've actually been in contact with this girl carla um and it would be interesting to see if we can do something with her and i was like oh yeah well that sounds like a good idea because at the time paramore was starting to come up through the ranks in the pop punk, punk scene and it was kind of having a female singer was kind of the new thing and we we're like all right well why not we have it to go so we stayed the same band and carla joined us uh, Kyle is actually a, um, she works for, uh, Hot Tomato down the coast. So she's, uh, like quite, um, like she's done very well for herself. Um, but she now works for Hot Tomato down the coast, does a lot of the, like, emceeing at big events down, down this way. And she's like, absolutely lovely girl. Um, but it was you know, after the has ceased, it was kind of, we'd never kept in contact, but I've messaged her occasionally. We're still friends on Facebook and, um, she's just had a kid. So, uh, recently, um, but yeah, um, that was kind of, we started this band that was called tall and trees and it was sort of, uh, more, more harmonies, a lot lighter, but still kind of that, kind of rocky punky kind of thing but just a lot lighter tone having the female vocalist and yeah we really enjoy ourselves as that band it just sort of did its thing we played a lot of gigs at hard rock cafe down the coast um and sort of bits and pieces here or there where we you know we, did, we didn't get much in the way of international support um gigs but we just sort of kept going and then after we'd sort of recorded some material we were going to release it Um, everything kind of fizzled out and I think someone might have gone on holidays or something like that and then uh, Rick went off and he had a side project that he was doing called Burning Brooklyn and I sort of wanted to do more. I kind of, I I missed playing gigs with a couple of the guys from Wearing Roscoe and one in particular, his name's Max, he was the lead singer and I sort of, we had a very similar taste in music so we really liked that dirty like filthy electro pop kind of um style music the the sort of mainstream version of that i can think of would if people would remember it would be kind of like metro station um they had a big sort of famous song at one point there um but it was very similar to that very electric still guitars and rocky but very um synth heavy and sort of backing track heavy as well so we sort of talked about it for a little bit and then we were like oh well, why don't we why don't we do a side project too and um he's like yeah okay and then we sort of started looking for people to do it he was still doing wearing roscoe i was still technically doing taller than trees at that point um and yeah we sort of just um sort of played around with it for a little while and he had then been talking to his guitarist from wearing roscoe uh brendan about it and sort of said what do you what do you think? And he's just like, I actually love this idea. let's he's like, can I be involved? And I would sort of I was a little bit wary about it and I sort of didn't really know what to do with it because I was we hadn't seen eye to eye in wearing Roscoe, so I was a bit uh, in a lot of senses. Towards the end of wearing Roscoe, it was actually the other guitarist that had flipped the switch on me and didn't really he wasn't getting along with me. And Brendan was like, look, I'm more than happy to come on and if it doesn't work out, I'll leave. And I was like, okay, cool, no problem. So we ended up getting three of us. Then um, we had their friend Adam um, who was like an indie kid, wasn't really a a pop guy or very indie-based. He was basically like, look... I'll, um, he's like, oh, I, I'd be keen to, to get in on this because I think it's just so over the top and so out there that it could be a lot of fun. And then he got involved and then we um, were having trouble finding a drummer uh, and we'd put on ads back in the day when there was still, these were still a thing, was uh, Time Off and Rave magazine, which you could pick up in the city. It's like, there are like a, like a local music
1: yeah I remember news. That book, yeah. yeah,
0: and uh, you could put in ads for free in there and we put in ads for drummers and for keyboard players and synth players and stuff to try and find more people um we trialed a couple of synth players didn't really work out um they weren't really a good fit um or they weren't sort of they weren't bringing anything to the to the band we kind of needed to have to write everything for them and then they could do it so we didn't they didn't work out with them And then we got contacted by a drummer. Now, the drummer happened to be Dave. So Dave was the drummer from Euphony that didn't like me. And I was very apprehensive. And I was like, I do not want to play in a band with him. I don't trust him. I said, I don't trust him. I don't... like. He didn't like me. So I don't... I'm not interested. I'm not really interested. I said, but we can meet with him as a band if that's what you guys want to do. Um, And... Yeah, so they ended. we ended up meeting with him and he kind of said all the right things and um, they were like, look, we're really interested. He was currently at that time playing an electric drum kit so it made it a very different vibe than a full drum kit which in theory would have worked really well for the style of music that we were playing Um, but it just sort of, him in general, uh, I was still kind of not, sold on so anyway we all talked it over and i said look if it's what's best for the band i'll do it being the team player that i am and i said okay look i said i'll give him the benefit of the doubt but if it's an issue i said if it comes up i want him gone and they're like yep okay no problem so anyway he jumps into the band and starts effectively over a quite a short amount of period we hadn't written any new song we hadn't written any songs yet so we'd basically written one song by this point we hadn't actually done anything so everything that we did as a band seemed like it just sort of came out of nowhere no one had heard of us no one knew what kind of music we played we had a name like which was the most ridiculous name I think, out of any band that I've ever heard. We were called The Monster Goes Raw. So you're
1: sitting here waiting for like, and we were called (laughs) Regurgitate. No,
0: so we were called The Monster Goes Raw or TMGR for short. Um, And it was, we were obnoxious to the point where like we were wearing if you looked at some of the, fo- I'll try and find for for those of you laying at home. I will find some old photos of me in my ridiculous clothing attire at the time. I had my big emo fringe and the ridiculously bright like bright coloured hats and wow, it was it was definitely a thing. But um, yeah, so everything sort of started to fall together and we wrote. One song recorded it and put it up on this website called Pure Volume. We wrote probably. And then it got to the point where I think we wrote two songs.
1: You're Googleable, mate. So, oh, yeah. Well, yeah, we were Googleable. Google also goes raw with yeah. uh, a couple of R's on the end for some reason. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The extra, the extra R's. Yeah. yeah. So there's
0: some like there might not be photos of me up there because obviously the the as the story will continue on, you'll find out why soon. But um, your name's down there. Yeah. So. Well anyway, so we added these couple of tracks that we recorded in there. Uh, and because Dave had the electric drum kit. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. No, so you no, found there, you found it? There is a photo you of found You found it. Yep. yep. There you yep. go. Yep. hmm Yep. That's uh Oh dude, you had the uh the black dyed bloody I
0: did. I did. Um
1: what do they call that thing? The cow's leg?
0: Yeah, the the emo fringe. Yep. Yeah, the fringe. Yep. yep damn the most unemo person you would
1: have met at the time too which is funny <laughs> holy shit dude yeah right <laughs> yeah. yeah you look like you look, yep. like you look like the punk wiggles <laughs> yeah there you go there the pop punk wiggles is exactly it um
0: uh, i still wore black a lot of the time but i had a lot of colored accents at that at that point yeah black um, shirt
1: with uh colorful writing
0: yeah yeah, yeah. So yeah, it was man, yeah, it was a crazy time. But anyway, we we put these two songs up on Pure Volume, and you could download them for free there. I we actually forgot that we put them up there. That's how like we we sort of just forgot about it. Um, we got to our first, we, we wrote enough songs to get to our first gig, and we shamelessly. Uh, put ourselves out there quite a lot. So it was literally a matter of we just promoted, 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 and we promoted basically nothing because we had nothing at that point except for this half an hour set worth of songs. Um, And we, like, to the point where we recorded the tracks and we would go to... um, other people's gigs like when like big bands so at the time short stack was the was the the uh, australian band that were these young guys that kid like 10 girls just frothed over like it was you know, you, you, look most, a lot of you people have probably heard of short stack before um but they frothed over them so we would we recorded all our stuff we got them put onto CDs and we bought CDs by the box full and we literally stood outside gigs and just handed out a CD to anyone that would take one. Um, It was like, it was, was, you know, we put money into it, put put quite a bit of money into it and we just kept doing it. Just doing it after time and time again. And then we, okay, we got our first gig coming up. So we booked a a small venue called The Hive. About 120 people was the max people that we had in there. And we'd never played a live gig before and we sold out our first show. Nice. So 120 people, it's not a you know huge amount, but it's still like for a band for a, a first gig, yeah. like we'd sold out uh, a gig, which is pretty crazy. Um, and then a lot of other bands that have started hearing about us and seeing us around and we were just like, again, shamelessly self-promoting it. Like back when MySpace was huge, we would just, smash myspace and facebook and twitter and all that stuff to try and just build a following and yeah
1: including uh, uh thank you google uh 2012 australia's got talent
0: yeah i that was not me unfortunately okay. yeah i uh, there's more there's more to that there's more to that but they did go on after uh i left the band um they did go on to Australia's Got Talent, and they uh, I think they made it to the second round. So they actually did pretty well. They got us they as far as I'm aware from memory they got um, they got three yeses from the judges on that one. So they actually got through. But how it all works is you know uh, in in old television land never never is what it actually is. is. Yeah, no, really. So um, yeah, like good for them. They did really well. But yeah, I was not in the band at that point. Unfortunately, would have loved it, but was not in the band then. Um, but yeah, so that's where all this is sort of coming to a head. And so we played our first gig. Before we've played our first gig, we find out we've got a second gig and a third gig. And the third gig, somehow, I don't know how or whose dick Dave sucked to get this gig, but the third gig ever was a international support for a band called 303. 303 um, uh, from funny enough uh, Denver, Colorado, and um, uh, like uh, at the time, I think the um, the song that got them super famous was a song called "Don't Trust Me," and they it went viral. Like it was insane. They they were they had, that song was getting played radio play everywhere. It was nuts. Uh, and anyway, so they were coming to Australia and we managed to get our third gig ever was an international support for this this band. So we actually got to play the hi-fi um, in West End, uh, right near where we used to go to for all the Puckers parties was right on the corner there. Yep. Um, and I'll tell you what, that was still probably one of the coolest things that we've done was that was was, was awesome. It was really cool. Um and then sort of that's where everything started to go downhill unfortunately. So like, you know, again we talked last week about how or well, last week where in our last, in our other podcast we, we have already discussed a little bit about like, you know, fitness and health and, and that sort of stuff. Uh, and I was a big I was a big guy. So at this point, to do with all my leg problems, I've put on a lot of weight. So I'm about hundred and forty kilos. So I'm a big I'm a big guy. Um And if you see photos of me from that time in my life, you can see the difference in between now and and then. Like I'm still a big guy now, but I'm a lot fitter and healthier than now than I was back then. Um, Anyway, so all these things started to go, started to change. So the Pure Volume website, uh, we logged back into it after a long time of not even paying attention to it. And we were consistently in the most downloaded listened to pop artists on this website like first second like first second place we didn't even know about it so it's we're starting to get a big following uh or relatively large following and then we started to get interest from we were sort of sort of shopping ourselves around so we were trying to make this a big thing and we wanted to um you know, try and get a record label and and make it make something of this, because um, we knew we had something, um, and we heard from a company, record label, small label in the states, and they were sort of like, yeah, we're 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 interested, and they, I sort of, I started to get sort of pushed aside a little bit and I wasn't being sort of paid attention to and I missed a few band meetings because I had to go to work. Um, They had um, details with um, like Skype and Zoom calls or whatever it was back then, I think Skype calls with this label and they were very much like, they basically like picked the whole band apart and were like, the thing that we want is your music and your singer basically. Your singer, and you're probably your rhythm guitarist, which is Brendan. Um, everybody else they sort of picked Dave apart. He's like, he's too old because he was a lot, quite a lot older than, than us. Um, they said, uh, Adam doesn't fit the band at all, His his aesthetic isn't good. Um, your bass player's way too fat, is what they said. You're way too fat, and um. So anyway, all this came back and they're like, so look, you know, he's like, I'm going to have to... The drummer said, I'm going to have to try and make myself look younger um, to try and get this to work. Um, Adam's got to change his style a little bit. uh, Maybe wear more hats because he was kind of balding in the front of his head there. I think that was... I think they said that. Um, And they're like, obviously, and you need to lose weight in order for this to work. Uh, And I was like, I've kind of felt... I kind of felt a little bit betrayed because like in my head, if someone like if I was in that meeting, I would have been like, no, thanks, we'll pass because I don't feel like we should have had to change ourselves to to make that happen. Um, and anyway, so I wasn't there and they kind of just went like, well, you're going to have to lose weight. So I sort of went, okay. I had literally just started dating my then girlfriend slash fiance slash wife around that time um and we'd only just started dating so like you know as you do when you go dating you go out for ice cream and you do date nights and all that sort of stuff and um yeah so like they were keeping tabs on me from going out and they're like you're not taking this seriously you're not you know doing this correctly you need to do what they've said and try and lose weight otherwise you won't be a part of the deal and you won't be able to sign the contracts. And obviously, at this point, I'm sort of like, this is kind of bullshit. But we weren't allowed to talk about this with anyone else, and I was like, see, I think this is bullshit because, fucking, this is before all that stuff came out about, you know, um, people being overweight and being discriminated against for it and stuff like that. So I'm in my head, I'm going, this is crap. I don't feel like this is a thing. Uh, if you've ever heard of a band called Bowling for Soup, they're a sort of punk band from the US. They had songs all through like the Late 2000s, um, like teen movies, um, and their guitarist is an absolute unit. This guy is huge, makes me look like a skinny guy. And I'm like, he's overweight, he's in a band and being, you know, quite famous. What's the problem? I don't see a problem with this. So anyway, I talked to Rick, who was the guy that used to play in Euphony and Toiletree. trees. So I said, you've had more de- like dealings with this before. Can you tell me what you think about this scenario? And I told him everything. Um, and then he's like, look, I, he's like, I don't agree with it, blah, 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 blah. blah. And I kind of started to push back a little bit. Then what happened next was we had a few more gigs in and around and things started to go real weird. Like Dave, just he like wouldn't talk to me he wouldn't like have literally have no conversation with me whatsoever. And I said to him, I'm like, what? I said, like, what is your fucking problem? Like, what is the problem? What have I done? And he goes, you've talked to such and such about this because Rick then told Dave they must have been talking about something. Um, maybe he said like, oh, congrats on the potential deal. Like, you know, blah, 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 blah um, to Dave. And Dave's cracked the shits at me about the fact that I've talked to Rick about it. Um, and I like, I'm like, I needed advice because none of you were talking to me. You wouldn't let me know what was going on. I had no clue, and I was losing the band that I'd started basically at this point, been taken over by Dave, and I had no say in anything. Um, they basically kind of went, Okay, um, look, yeah, everything's fine. And then they're like, But you are still too fat, you can still play bass in the band, but if this label comes up and says this, you'll, you won't you will be a part of the band. You'll just be someone who's playing bass for the band, but the band won't, you won't actually be a part of it. And I was just like, obviously devastated by this because, you know, I fucking started the band with Max. Uh, we'd done this together. And um, like, I was kind of the face too. like Max had the, he was the pretty face that ever all the girls like to see but the person who put in the most effort and um, time with the fans who were coming to the shows was me like I would literally sit out in the crowd and I'd take photos and I'd talk to them like they were my friends which you know a lot of them some of them really did become friends because I felt like that's if I was, you know, if, if I went to a gig and the band that I was there to see came out and started talking to me, it would literally make my life. So I wanted to put in what I felt was necessary. And anyway, I went to a gig one night with Max. We went and saw, I think we went and saw Cobra Starship and Owl City. Uh, and after the gig, I was just like, said to him, I'm like, man, what is the problem with Dave? I don't understand. I don't know what I've done. And he sort of tells me what I've done. Um, and I'm like, okay. So I'm like, well, how do I fix it? And he's like this. I'm like, okay, hey, cool. So I do everything I can to try and fix the problem because I love my band and I don't want to leave. Uh, and the next thing, we're meant to have practice and they're like, yeah, practice will be at this time. And I'm like, okay, cool. So I rock up to practice. And as I do most things, I rock up to practice and I get there a little bit early because I always like to get places early. And um, I get into, I go upstairs, the door's closed to the practice room, and I go back downstairs and I walk in and the whole band is sitting around a table with one chair at one end, ostracized from everybody else. And the every other member of the band is down the other end. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? And they're like, Oh, we thought you were gonna be like a bit later. We're just having a meeting and I'm like, Oh so a meeting that I'm not in not allowed to be a part of and they're like, No. And I'm like, Okay. And then they're like, Look, just sit down and then Dave basically runs the the band meeting as like a fucking boardroom and goes, Look, <laughs> it's like I'm just gonna rip the band that off and say it, but um, we don't want you in the band anymore you you're too much of a liability um your health your this you're that you're not taking it seriously and you were talking to other people about band matters that didn't involve them and i've just gone cool so i've sat there for a bit and i've gone they're like well he kind of said like, we got anything to say and i'm like i've got a lot to say but obviously you fuckers have made up your 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 idea already um, I said, this is bullshit. I said, like, I needed to talk to someone about it because you fuckers wouldn't talk to me about it. You wouldn't approach me for it. You clearly didn't want me to be a part of it. And I, and I basically said, this is all your fault, Dave. I said, you're the one that doesn't want me in the band. You're the person with the issues. These issues would not have happened until you were in the band. And look, that's my, obviously my thing because I didn't push back hard enough. I was trying to do what was right for everybody instead of looking after myself, which is what I should have done. Um, Yeah, and then um, so it all went to shit from there and they basically said, yep, you kicked out of the band. You're not in the band anymore. Had a lot to do with obviously me being overweight and me talking about the project um, to try and get something to help myself uh, to see what was the right thing to do. And after all that, I literally on the drive home I got home, and then on, before I even got home, they had posted on the um, like, in, like all the social medias, and basically said it was an amicable um, split, and that I would no longer be in the band. And I went, and I fucking absolutely lost it. I lost it. Uh, I was, I was in hysterics at that point. The what I wrote on their page was just I blasted them because i was like this is absolutely a non-amicable thing you fuckers have absolutely screwed me you've screwed me out of my band pretty much and like i'm now left with nothing something that i cared so much about and basically you've kicked me out for being fat which is exactly what had happened and i just was yeah that's where everything sort of went down obviously like I don't think until, until, you know, 10 years, let's say nine, eight years later, um, that was literally the lowest I've been in my life where I've gone, this is fucked. Like I could, I was just a wreck.
1: Yeah. Sounds like the music industry is a barrel of loss, man.
0: Oh man. Honestly, fucking I'm at a point now, obviously I haven't played in bands for quite some time and. It's you know, like that was the main thing that sort of did it for me there. But the I even had issues with the last band that I was in before I stopped playing music altogether. And that was the nail in the coffin for me. That was the I'm done, I can't I can't keep doing this. Like you hear all these great stories of bands that have been friends and brothers and whatever for you know 20 years and they're like yep our relationship's so strong and nothing's nothing's ever gonna be bad and then you s- go into things like this where i've had like two experiences where yeah i had some great things happen but it was all just destroyed by yeah, I people yeah the,
1: uh, the rocky road is probably a bit uh a bit more common than the smooth plain sailing oh yeah planes.
0: Well, shit, guys, that's it for part one of Life of Benson. Uh, next week, coming to you guys in your ear holes is part two. And, guys, don't forget to hit us up on the socials. Instagram is at happyhourfromtherambleroom. Twitter handle is at H-H-F-T Ramble Room. And if you want to chuck us an email, if you've got any questions regarding the podcast, just email us at happyhourfromtherambleroom at gmail.com. Have a good week, guys. Peace.